Hello, welcome to Back to the Point. My name is Migs. This is Ian. Yeah. So uh, it's good to be back. Looking forward to talking some hockey after the Sharks really blew it last night. Um, <laughs> last night fun being times. the game. Last night being the game against the Golden Knights. Yeah. A... First game of the season. And it's like we didn't even care that they eliminated us last, <laughs> last season. Or that every game we play the other like four games, maybe five games we've played against them in the regular season now have been very hotly contested games. You know, it yeah. it was a very poor start after a promising homestand. Yeah. Which was maybe the most frustrating part is that it seemed the up until this point the sharks have been off and on off and on in terms of consistency homestand they got a good like six games in a row that were pretty defensively solid especially the latter end of that go on this road trip hopefully put that put those struggle behind us carlson scores burns making better decision making like burns has been great carlson turned the corner and scoring as well as outside of playing great like he's doing the whole thing now, and then we just absolutely lay an egg of a game. <laughs> yeah, they crapped the bed on that one. Dude, they did. Yeah, they did worse than that. <laughs> That's like the worst. I think that was the worst Sharks game in a long, long time. No, it was at the... least during the regular season. I mean, well, in long, a way, this in a season, way, I mean, 100%. it wasn't. It wasn't like they did the worst, most egregious mistakes ever, but just overall just how things went it was just a bad night you know yeah it was easily the worst game of the season because i i think what affects me more emotionally is when the sharks blow blow leads like we did against buffalo and minnesota many other times last year or the year before that i don't know um so yeah it was it was a it was a long it was a long night my wife when i was watching the first period i was watching it delayed and she had looked ahead and she had said that she wanted to say that it was going to be a long night (laughs) it's like yeah and it definitely was ah well the sharks are still 500 (laughs) exactly yeah more than a quarter of the way through the season which is not ideal for the team that they have i think and uh apparently peter deboer is not happy with that being posed to him last night after the game (laughs) yeah kevin kerr is asking i mean i don't know if it's a reasonable question but it it didn't seem crazy unreasonable like apparently DeBoer hated that and said it was effing ridiculous (laughs) to the media which i don't think he normally swears in front of the media oh no but i think it probably was just culmination of how that night went he got kicked out of the game as well, so right, um, yeah. Well, we have chatted well yeah, since last year's. Yes, you know what we could do? We what? could, uh, you know, it's just been Thanksgiving. We could name a few things. Let's each name two things we're thankful for about the Sharks. Okay, very topical. Get, Would ma- you like maybe to get go us first, or uh, sure, uh, a little. Uh, topical thing help us get a little bit into the mood and put that terrible game behind us okay this is good good idea okay yeah. uh you know what i'm thankful for Migs? what 
I'm thankful for Timo Meyer, which is of course, of course. But I will say he has 13 goals and is tied for second in the league in scoring, t- uh, tied for second in the team in scoring. Oh yeah, you know he's come. He's come a long way since his first full season in Teal where he shot everything on net and was basically just a wasted play whenever he got the puck. And mm-hmm. now it seems like he's dangerous almost every single zone entry. And he plays well along the boards in tight. He has good one-on-one or rush attempt moves in terms of deking and just play. He can play in the power play. He can tip pucks. He can play in front of the net. He can screen and he can snipe like he fits the Sharks' style of play very well. And like Doug Wilson has said previously, this uh, power forward type style of player takes longer to get in the groove of the NHL than some of the other teams, other types of players. And uh, he's been going great. If he keeps this up, um, he's, on, he's on pace for around an 80-point season. So I will take that. I'm happy that you're happy about Timo because yeah, you've I, liked him for a while. I've liked him for yeah. a while. Yeah. And I, and I followed him in his, uh, his dog days. You know, I was, I saw that he had the skill set to do well and I stuck with it. Obviously he was a ninth overall draft pick in the first round. So it's not like I'm some like super good forecasting stats guy or prospect guy. It was just fun to see the skill pan out, you know. Right. It's the same thing for Kevin LeBanc, too. You've really seen him grow. Um, okay. I will not do two in a row. Let's have you go next. Yeah. So, Ian, you know what I'm thankful for? What I'm thankful, thankful that despite the Sharks' 500 record, they are still near the top of the division. Yes. And... You know, I was looking at the league standings as a whole, and I think nobody's really run away with wins and and points. I mean, you could say Nashville's, like, doing really well, but if you look at the points, it's not like they're extremely out of reach of the two through 12 spots below them, you know? Um, For sure. So I think it comes at a good time for the Sharks to have this buffer because they are not having a season that's living up to expectations currently, which is frustrating on the part of us fans. And I'm sure the team is frustrated with how inconsistent they've been playing as well. But just the way the NHL as a whole is going right now, not to mention the Pacific division, it's working in their favor where they can get away with it. So I'm thankful for that. Do I want them to stay at 500 for the remaining three quarters of the season? No, but I'm thankful that they have this opportunity to um, right the ship without already being in a hole, which maybe in other seasons they would would have been in a little bit at this point. Yeah, and they, if you sort by league standings, the Sharks are 12th. That yeah. is the top of the middle third. So yeah. we're not doing poorly. We're not doing well we would hope to have a better result with this roster, but ultimately it only matters where we finish at the end of the season and getting into the playoffs. And we have seen time and time again, each of the seasons that we have played under DeBoer have started dire and uh, the team has come around and yeah. uh, really 
solidified on the coach's style of play. We saw that the year they went to the cup final, they were like bottom of the league early in the season, like literally bottom of the league. It was terrible. They went to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, uh, I think those second halves, the uh, yeah, the, the past couple of years were really. Yeah, we, we could not score for the life of us in the first half. Come January, we were scoring okay. wasn't yeah. great, but we were figuring out how to do it, as well as keeping up the defense. Right. We can score as much as we want right now, and we just need to tighten up the defensive play, and it's there. Except last night. It's, it's there. It's, it's <laughs> not every night. The consistency isn't there every night, but the Sharks are there, and everyone will say that um, – Okay, I won't, I won't dump too far in there. There's room to grow, and we haven't put our season in the can yet. Yeah. Like the Kings have, and mm-hmm. St. Louis has. Right. I mean, they, like I said, well, actually, the Kings are pretty down in the dumps. The Kings are 30th, St. 31st Louis in the really league. Recently. Yeah. St. Louis is 30th. So. Anyway, let's not, let's not talk about the other teams right now. Yeah, um, really tell, me, tell me, what is the second thing you are thankful for, Ian? Um... The second thing I'm thankful for, um, you weren't thinking ahead. Well, you know it's it's hard. There's there's a few things. Um, I will have. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm thankful for Marcus Sorensen and Brent Burns playing well back to where they have been when they've been playing their best so mm-hmm. i think i'm thankful for that because it hasn't been that way in the past with burns and love to see marcus Sorensen, a younger guy really kind of find his groove in the league and he's really been a standout player on the bottom six for the sharks yeah i think so he's been i'm thankful for that working hard yeah um that reminded me of something that else that I'm thankful for, which I'll, I'll use as my second point of thanks. Speaking of uh, Marcus Sorensen, he's been on a line recently with the one and only Joe Thornton. And mm-hmm. I am thankful that Joe Thornton is continuing to prove his critics wrong in his effectiveness. Uh, despite being 39 years old now, he's still very effective. And I think these last few games, he's been a solid contributor and still shown that he is Joe Thornton and he can do what Joe Thornton does with his playmaking ability and his sense on the ice. And um, I think he's been a little bit notable on the power play as well with uh, the way he's cycling the puck uh, and just creating some chances. I think, you know, he's getting, he's been burned a little bit with being slow, but so has Pavelski and other, (laughs) other people. Literally anyone else who is not fast. Yeah. It doesn't and really well, matter. Also, the there's the team as a general when we give up odd man rushes, but that's mm-hmm. another point. Anyway, I'm just I'm just happy because Joe Thornton's one of my favorite players, as he probably is for many Sharks mm-hmm. fans. And uh just watching him play is, you just you could see like his figure, like Joe Thornton. He's so imposing there and despite his age, he's still just so fun to watch, you know. So I'm thankful that uh he, he's proving his critics wrong and he's still playing, you know? So that's exciting. Totally. And yeah. you know what? He's also 11th all time in assists above Mario Lemieux. 
Joe Sackick, yeah. Doug Gilmore, and Mark Rickey. That's pretty amazing. And he's in in reach of Marcel Dion and Gordy Gordy Howe. Gordy Howe. Yeah, so he has uh, 14 <laughs> assists to tie Gordy Howe, 15 to get sole lead of ninth place and solidifying his result in the top 10. Yeah. I, and depending on his play, he could he could take out Steve Eiserman too, which who is like a 14 assists higher than Gordy Howe. So hmm. Joe continues to climb the charts, which is just awesome to see. Great for him to solidify his legacy as one of the best to ever play the game and definitely the best shark ever to play. Yeah. So, so that's great. That was a nice little impromptu segment you, you came up with there. Yeah. I was going to go down a, a dark, dark path. Yeah, I want to steer us away from this dark path. <laughs> yeah, didn't was definitely going to talk about the refing against Vegas, but uh, let us spend me clear of that. <laughs> let us spend three minutes on that without getting too angry. About <laughs> let's it. talk about it later, though, because I think we just came off of this uh, season of thankfulness. So let's talk okay. about something. Still a little bit we more will positive. say that when we were in high school, Megs and I. We might have said this before. Migs and I were on you definitely our, have. our varsity volleyball team. <laughs> and we we had a few years where we were actually very good in terms of our league. And we were in the championship match to win our league. And we had a ref who like was outspokenly negatively biased against our team and told our team to our faces and stuff like that. Like it it was suck. It sucked, and then when we saw that she was refing our final game, we were like all took a kind of exasperated sigh. And we have video evidence that we actually won the game, even though she made a decisive call against us, which sucked. Yeah. So to say that we really feel the injustice when refing is a, a bias, one way or the other. So right. We can relive that a little bit later. <clears throat> But you know what I will say about the team? Mm. Um, there has been significant roster changes. People say people are saying, oh, well, you know, we lost um, Eric Fair. We lost our fourth-line center. We lost Dylan DeMello, our depth defenseman. And we lost Chris Tierney. Like, we only lost really two, two impact players, Tierney and Fair, because DeMello and Ryan have been trading off and on for the past couple of seasons, not really a huge impact there. But if you just look in terms of personnel, like, yes, it's been an, like, that's a net net minus one or something like that. Like it's not a big amount of difference, but we're put someone on our top power play time of our top defensive pairing time of ice. Like that shifts everybody's time of ice, which is going to make them different. Their deployments are going to be different. That means that people are going to be paired more frequently outside of their normal pairing in terms of Burns, Ryan, um, Dylan, and Carlson. We've seen how Vlasic and Baran have really just stuck together. But even they have been mixed up early in the season. And then the bottom six of our roster has really been kind of a, a turning a window for a little bit of time recently. So even though... Like individually, in terms of personnel who have left, like there actually has been significant roster change. Like our bottom six has changed. We lost Eric Fair. We lost Chris Tierney, the arguably the two most important bottom six positions, the third and fourth line center. 
without a clear winner to fill that role. Luckily, Thornton has been able to fill that role for us as the third line center. But outside of that, his wingers have been a little bit more solid as of the past like five or six games with Tierney or with uh, um, Sorensen and LeBanc. But we still haven't had a solid fourth line outside of Goudreau. So we're still figuring it out. You know, and I think the biggest thing that everyone can clearly see is the defensive pairings are, are different. And uh, specifically this getting used to such an uh, elite player like Carlson. Like it took a while for the team to get used to Burns and his decision making. And now we have another Burns type player on right. the ice at all times outside of just Burns. It's not just one in every three shifts we have to cover for Burns when he goes up it's now every other shift actually more than that every two out of three shifts if you just go by the number of pairs we have to be a little bit more alert on receiving passes and covering for the defense more so than they ever have before and that's been taking a toll on our team yeah I agree I think it's just a little bit more subtle these changes it's not in your face, it's just the impact is more subtle. The changes are obvious, but right. And I think the change and the transition has been seen across mo- most most of the lines. Not, I wouldn't say just the bottom six. I mean, yeah, because Don's going to shift it up that, too. Right. You could argue that Couture and Hurdle and um, Meyer were having our and are our best line, you know, and they've still mm-hmm. been together because they have some good chemistry. But besides that, even like Pavelski and Kane and Thornton, those those have kind of been in flux. I think that some of those players are still struggling and, and finding their way. I mean, Pavelski is coming off a really recent hot streak. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kane is a player that I, man, I just get frustrated with him and I'm probably biased against him because you know, all his like off ice crap and everything like that. But <laughs> now he, on ice crap with, with yeah. how he's been playing and some of his suspensions and I, stuff. I didn't like what he did last night where he stuck out his knee against it, that player. It's da- I think it's dangerous. I would be totally fine with him getting suspended for that. He probably won't, but he won't. Just, if it was just if don't... it had ended up with knee contact, possibility for yeah, sure. Just just don't do that. You know, you know he's going after that guy with what he mm-hmm. was doing. And I just didn't like that. And I don't think that has a place and I would I would be happy suspending him. Um who cares what it does to our roster for a little bit. Um yeah. Anyway, but I get frustrated with Kane because sometimes he will just do the thing, you know, and he doesn't make a responsible decision. He'll just chip it in or take like a bad shot yeah seems like sometimes he, does he just do doesn't that. care as much defensively uh, it's just he, sometimes he he kind of sticks out like a sore thumb a little bit with the, the way he plays at plays sometimes i i shouldn't say that so exaggeratedly but he i will, he just kind of does yeah. his thing sometimes and it's it's not what we need all the time you know yeah defensively and, i think he's actually okay but i 100 percent agree with you gaining the zone as like the first forward in where you need mm-hmm. to like wait for your teammates a little bit. Yeah. Um, he definitely makes poor decisions in that instance, a good amount of the time. Yeah. And it he is always totally goes up the half wall a lot, you know, and then we'll either take a shot or a really low percentage shot too. Yeah. Yeah. 
Which I mean, and he, he scored, scored on like the first few. game of the season, so that inspired him to yeah <laughs> to do it. Yeah, but I mean, when you're taking yeah. a shot as a, I think he's a left-handed shot, right? Yes, I think so. Um, on like on the outs, like if you're taking a shot from the circle, like anywhere on the circle, that's okay. It's like actually not that bad of a shot. Yeah, he does shoot left, but if when you're coming down the left side, on the outside of the left circle, and you take a shot, like yeah, that's a close in, and you can score but like that's likely going to be a throwaway shot especially yeah. when you shoot it from farther out of the circle like it's and only maybe really... that's a better way to to put it like some of the plays he makes are throwaway plays that just halt our yeah halt our attack and it's hard for me to put my finger on it exactly but i just get i just get frustrated with him when he does does stuff like that yeah, like um, just a simple course correction there is like still take that shot, but shoot low. Mm-hmm. Shoot low, freeze the goalie, and to deflect it to the corner chance. or deflect it to the other side. And maybe that's an open, def- an open rebound for someone crashing the net as a player is coming in late. Right. But like if you shoot it high glove, uh, okay, like what? good job. Or like to the, mm-hmm. to the goalie's chest, like you've just killed the play instead of waiting for your teammates and to being a better supporting player. Yeah. Anyway, I got on a tangent talking about Kane, but that's, that's just going to say that, you know, he's not really in having an amazing season so far. I think he started off better and some of our fourth line is struggling. I think Goodrow's a guy that works really hard. seems like Melker has been kind of off this season. Uh, I mean, he's never really on, but but I mean, he's not as he doesn't seem kind of as quite as dis- dependable as he was in seasons past. Maybe he yeah, just that's a he hasn't note. been as notice he hasn't been as noticeable um, in his role. And uh, that other fourth line spot has who was there for? Oh, Chartier was playing there for a long time, and now they've decided to give um, Radil another chance. And uh, who was it? Uh, Gambrell. Yeah, Gambrell and Chartier have... Chartier has gotten the, the longest look with 13 games. Uh, Gambrell's gotten two games and Radiel's gotten one. Uh, Chartier, he's been, he's been there. He hasn't yeah. really done a whole lot. Um, I think he's looked okay sometimes, but... Yeah, but he hasn't looked... He hasn't won the position. Like, we saw... Barkley Gaudreau get shoved into that role and he did great. Mm-hmm. Like you can run away with that position. It's not a throwaway spot in the lineup. Like you can play well on the fourth line and make an impact on the game. You can see how right. um, Eric Fair. Eric Fair and, and Marcus Sorensen clearly showed that. And Gaudreau, especially like them as individuals, but then that fourth line in the playoffs also was really good too. Right. But uh, I thought Radil, he had a great game. The one look he yeah, had he did. two games ago. Um, he, did. he got high-sticked in the face and his eye was swollen shut, so he couldn't play this next game. But I, uh, I would have assumed he would have been in the lineup could he have played. Uh, I was yeah. really excited we'll to see. Hopefully we'll see him again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought, he was, uh, I thought he was quick on his skates. Um, his balance was a little bit off, but maybe that's just nerves. Yeah, he looked a bit heavy. Game. He looks kind of like a... When I first was looking at him skating, he looked kind of like a heavy lumbering type skater. But then later on in awkward, the game, yeah. in the fourth period, he was kind of 
<laughs> holding on to the puck so and pretty. skating pretty well. Yeah, yeah, when we're just beating Vancouver, so yeah, yeah. no, I'd like to see I'd like to see more out of him to get a better sense of the type of player that he is and his yeah, skill set. I, I really liked his edge work. I saw a couple instances where he used his edges to make quick turns, tight turns, or jukes to um be to gain gain separation from his player and work down low in the corner below the mm-hmm. net, which is where the Sharks have found a lot of success. Um, and I liked it. I thought he did good. I definitely thought his skating and he looked a little nervous to start the game. He fell a couple times, uh, looked a little awkward, but he he played great. And I would have really liked to see him again. Um, I think his age and his previous professional experience, you can see that his decision-making has been a little bit better in the one game sample size we've seen than Chartier. But uh, yeah, I was, I was surprised yeah. and I liked it. I remember I think I, the preseason game that we went to, Radil did really, really well. Oh, yeah. It was preseason, but he still I, – I, I, um, some people were surprised about seeing him, like, as one of the last scratches in mm-hmm. the camp. But having been to a game in person with you, I think maybe I went to two, it, uh, I wasn't surprised. I thought he did really well. Yeah, so maybe he can offer something that – People haven't offered yet when he gets healthy again, and we'll see. You know, I I was just thinking I, I'm probably coming from a more, um, you know, down mindset just because just of that. When you lose 6-0 the, the night before <laughs> you, you record a podcast, yep. it sits with you a little bit. But I think trying to step away from that, the Sharks have have been a pretty potent offensive team in terms of possessing the puck and creating chances. And uh, part of what's been frustrating this season is that they they can score quite a lot. Like you said, we can we can score quite a bit at times, but in certain games, you know, they're not scoring as much as you would like. It's just throwing a lot of shots on net, and and it's frustrating because not as many are getting through. And then, uh, uh, definitely a common theme that's true has been the defensive lapses. Um, and yeah, maybe a little bit of bad goaltending here and there. I don't think that's as much of an issue. I think you would agree that that's not as much of an issue as people are making it out to be because the defense is the the primary problem there. Yeah, I think uh, we're at the 24 games played as a team, Mark. I think we're, we can do a little bit of a quarter season. I think Evaluation. Yeah, maybe not like in all, in all of the... Uh, things but we've said a couple of players we're excited for we talked about how we want more from Evander Kane and how the fourth line center needs a little bit more time to solidify out I have um, I think one player in particular one and a half players I also think I want more from um, is there anyone else but you and then outside of that I think we just kind of were talking about team defense, and I think we can probably spend the second half of the podcast on that and how it affects goaltending and such. Yeah, yeah. I think, let me think if there's any other players. I mean, LeBanc has been, you know, okay at times. I think I would want more out of him. I think he's still How would you want, yeah. He's still, like, putting up numbers, but I don't know. Maybe he, he, like, Kane, I'm a bit hard on, and so (laughs) – when he makes mistakes or when he makes a mistake that leads to the puck going out of the offensive zone in particular, 
He really stands out to me. Yeah, um, I think he also takes like blisteringly hard. His shot is so so hard, but, but he misses he the net wide so much. So yeah. much. He oh. shoots it wide so hard. Um, yeah, just well. like yeah, he had a look on the power play last night. And it was in slow-mo, and the speed of his wish speed of a the speed of a slap shot in mm-hmm. slow-mo that is really fast. It's somewhat impressive um, how how he's able to get shots off from different points around his body, but then you see how much he misses and then it becomes less impressive. Because yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah, it's just I, like a you know, wild, day, wild shot, you know. The other day I looked at percentages between a few of the like players with the number of games played and rookie status. I think it was just between Meyer and LeBanc mm-hmm. about who misses more shots. And they were both about the same. Um, they were both roughly like one or 2% equivalent. Okay. Um, so it wasn't anything crazy there. Cause I was like, Oh, I wonder if just Timo is just scoring more because he's getting more shots on net. And it was like, no, actually it's not a big difference. Um, I posted on Twitter a, a while ago if someone wants to actually look at it it's somewhere in my timeline. But uh, yeah, so it, it's not anything out of the ordinary, but on the power play, it's a little bit more noticeable because you have some time and space and you shouldn't be missing shots on the power play when you have time to get a look, you mm-hmm. know, or at least you would want to have a higher accuracy on the power yeah, play. Yeah, definitely. And I think the one comment about LeBanc, I agree with you. I think he has a lot of um, passes to no one or passes to opponent sticks and easy turnovers mm-hmm. um, because I think his vision is elite for sure. Like he has amazing playmaking abilities and that is why he's sometimes on the power play one unit, even with the level of talent we have. Um I mean, he's actually in the power play one, you know, a lot. Yeah, he is. But uh, I think, and and he's there primarily because of his dual threat passing ability and shooting ability. But I think he can um, learn a bit better on um, making those high-risk, high-reward passes because it seems like his uh, efficiency on those is closer to 500 where he would have equal risk and equal reward in terms of the outcomes he's seen so far. You'd like it to be more towards the rewarding side, but it seems like he has given up a lot of like, no look passes. You're like, Oh wow, that's a good idea, but it was to no one or the other team. So I think that's an area he can work on. I also thought that he was, he had an ability, he had an issue pulling the puck off of the boards when he's on the half wall on the right side on the power play. A lot of times I saw the power play end because, um, or we lose the zone because he was pressured really quickly and couldn't get the puck off. Whereas you see a player like hurdle and it's almost like an instant one touch reaction where it's off the wall and on his stick and in a shooting position. But then I watched a little bit more and I was like, no, that's just me being extra hard on him. It's no different from anyone else. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. I think he's he's about he's at a point six three points per game. He's at twelve fifteen points twenty four games. So he's doing well. Probably about um, on pace for the same number of points he had last season. Still on pace for fifty. Um, 
Which is good. Which is good, yeah. He he isn't as quite of a high-end prospect as Meyer in terms of his completeness of game, but uh, he may bloom a little bit later. You know? Yeah. Definitely, definitely a different type of player, though. So, For sure. Definitely a, a passer forward. first, and Timo, Timo is a shooter yeah. first. Although LeBanc will take his ch- chances with the shot. It's just that, that wild, mm-hmm. wild shot, you know. Uh, if he could, mm, I don't think it's uh, wild. I think it's it, wild it, with how hard he it's shoots just noticeable. and how wide it goes. Often, um, I mean, we don't we don't see how wide it goes. We just see that it I does see, not. Hit I the see net. it with my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, fair. Anyway, um, um, I will say I don't notice. I have another player in mind. Who? I think Don Skoy, man. Oh yeah, the perpetual. We've been waiting for him. When will Don perpetual... Skoy get it together? When will Don Scully get it together? He's 26, which is still not that old, but this is his fourth season. His first season, he played 76 games. So, I mean, just the way in the time on ice that Don Scully gets with his, like, line pairing and the way he plays, like, how many points would you think he would get each season or like his career high. Mm. Yeah. You would hope he would let's be say each, let's say the average number of points you would hope a player like his line pairing would get in the fifties, forties to 50 points a season. Yeah. High forties, high fifties. Like he plays the third line, sometimes second line type player. And he gets some power play time and he, sometimes moves to the top line when he's doing really well. He's never finished with more than 36 points. Yeah. And he, if you took the four year, three year average of his three complete seasons so far, it is, um, let me do some quick math. 36 points, 17 points and, um, 32 points. So that is, 28 points a season on average, which is like a good fourth line player, honestly. <laughs> like, let me, let me see how many points Barclay Goudreau had last, last season. I mean, I'm not, that's, that seems a little high for that. Barclay Goudreau last season in 47 games had 28 points. Really? Yes. And that's my point. Oh, wow. Like, Come on, Donskoy. Like, you look, you have so much offensive flair. You have so much skill, but his ability to convert is so bad. Yeah, I'd want and that. And admittedly, to be he's played 76 games, 61, and 66 games. So he has had at least one significant portion of absence in the last two seasons he's played. But it's just like, I'm like, honestly, he could, he could be traded and I wouldn't really care. Oh. As long as we got. Like, I mean, like, he is a trade candidate on this team to bring in someone better. But, like, we're going to have to sign Timo Meyer and we're going to have to sign probably some other players. I don't have cap friendly up in front of me, but we're going to have to re sign Eric Carlson. And that money is going to have to come from somewhere. And to me, um, you know, Stonskoy has not played himself into a good contract. Yeah. No, I agree. So. I just want so much more from him, and he seems to have flashes where he can, where he seems like he's going to fulfill on that promise, but he just never really does. Yeah, it's true. 
And it's sad. And it's sad because I want I want the best for him. I know. He was the one that scored the uh, arguably one of the biggest goals in franchise history. So Yeah, he's in yeah. He he will always be remembered for the turns around for the puck. Yeah, don't score. <laughs> yeah. Perfect, perfect memories. We were at that game. Yeah. Yes. That That's cool. one of the best memories for every Sharks fan. Yeah. And we were there to visit a lot. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, the other player I'm uh, Oh man, we're just going over the whole roster now. Huh? <laughs> this is just the last one. Okay. I mean, I think Auntie Suomela has had some issues with just like the level of physicality and decision making that we want from him. Um in terms of DeBoer wants from him. Seems like he hasn't really been making some good defensive decision making and he can definitely has offensive ability. <clears throat> Sorry. But he's been scratched once or twice lately, and it's because his down low play, his decision making, his um, basically all aspects of play outside of in the offensive zone when he has the puck could use some work. And he, you know, it's the, his first year in a completely different league for different ice size, different number of games played. Like he can not too worried about. He's him, definitely going through a funk. I mean, I think he was. Yeah, for noticeable sure. in the first ten games of the season, and then since then, yeah, then he's he kind of been down. Off. Yeah, he dropped off, and but you know, yeah. maybe it's a learning experience for him as things go yeah, through the young, season more. He can too, pick things sure. back up and and find find his place on the team. Um, yeah, maybe so getting not, scratched a few really... t- a few times along the way will be ultimately good for him. So, yeah. I'm not really too worried about him. He's 24, first year in this league. He's got time. Uh, you know, bringing that... The player that I'm not... The one player I do actually have, I want more from, is Joachim Ryan. He's been scratched twice this far. Yeah, Tim Heat has played two games for him. There's been some times before each of his scratches where he's had significantly poor decision-making. Mm-hmm. I had, like, a video analysis Twitter thread that I posted after he got scratched for the first time and everyone was up in arms on Twitter about what an idiot DeBoer was. He played five minutes of ice time, and he had three plays that were directly his fault that led to goals against. Yeah. And it was like, yes, he played extremely poor. And again and again, I see him making decisions that are questionable. There was one where in Edmonton, when McDavid had his first goal of the game, his 100th goal of the season, like he followed Burns while Burns was man-on-man on McDavid. Like you can see that Burns is covering McDavid man-on-man. Like why are you trailing Burns along with him? Like that's not... Right, so he got pulled out of position, and then Drysidle was waiting down low along the goal line to the left of Jones, and instead of going to tie him up because there's no one in front of the net, he stands halfway between Drysidle and halfway between the front of the net, waiting, and then a pass comes to Drysidle, and instead of having been at Drysidle or near Drysidle and lifting his stick or tying up the body or something like that, he tries to like bat the puck out of the air with the stick. Instead of like sticking his leg out or sticking his hand out because it was like in that area, he like tries to smack out of the air, and clearly that's the wrong decision. And then it goes on dry saddle stick, and McDavid is crashing, and then McDavid scores. And it's like if you're just going to sit in no man's land, you're basically making yourself useless. And that's just one specific example 
of poor decision-making as of late. And maybe it's just him getting used to how he's going to be deployed this season. Like he's getting his average time on ice is 11 minutes and 42 seconds this season compared to previous season where he was tied with Burns getting closer to 20. Like his ice time has probably been cut in half. Right. And the Carlson, the Carlson effect. The Carlson effect, yeah, and he, <laughs> rightly so. His time should be cut in half, you know. Right. But I I'm know sure you, it's. Uh, I know you awkward are, to be to get used to. That's a, a strong point for you for defending the the coaching decisions uh, in the face of many critics. <laughs> I mean, I I enjoy doing it because sometimes people just. I'm not like this staunch supporter of the coaching staff. But a little bit, and gonna die by their <laughs> die by their word, right? It's just that like, not every choice they make is stupid. Yeah, you know, like this team, everyone has to play offense and everyone has to play defense. And currently, our biggest attraction is defense. So when you scratch a player who's doing great offensive, not great, but doing well offensively, at a severe lack of defense like you should be scratched because we're okay on offense and it's not like you're carrying the team unless it's like Couture or Meyer or, or Hurdle, but none of those players have issues on defense and their ability to play offensively and carry the team. Like they can do both well, but some of the other players have not been able to do that. And it's been a big detractor and our biggest pain point this whole season. And if the coach is going to scratch you for that or shuffle the lines around, like, so be it. Also, like, every coach shuffles the mm-hmm. lines. That's, like, that's how coaching is made. And it's not, like, weird. And so I don't really get why everyone's up in arms about that because that's just a fact. Like, everyone knocks against the Oilers the fact that McDavid and Dreisaitl are the only people scoring in that team. So, of course, you would split up the lines. But then when it happens to the Sharks, when it's Couture, Meyer, and Hurdle scoring a lot, and then you split it up, everyone's up in arms. It's like you can't have the same opinion applied to two different teams in the same way. Well, maybe it's not a perfect example, but the idea still stands. Yeah, I think people – well, last last time we recorded, I think we did a – in the podcast, we talked about the line blender and – kind of mm-hmm. what it's been going on but it seems like this season so far just just alluding to the point that you were talking about with naming all those players as we were just talking about uh different players trying to find their way and, and struggling whether it's Siomela or that fourth line center position Kane to some extent Don Scoy I think the whole mm-hmm. Lions maybe the coaching staff is rather than blending it furiously in game you know because sometimes they've had good games but the the lines have kind of been on a slow mix, you know, <laughs> throughout this season, just gradually yeah. moving players here and there, depending on the lineup. And I think that's been partly a product of the inconsistency uh, for the team as a whole, just to kind of get things going and help them to learn to play to their identity. And then also um, to maybe get those individual players going a bit, because, you know, you talked about, Ryan being scratched a couple times when he, you know, didn't play to snuff and made some key errors or, you know, some Suomela just not being or having much of an effect. And so he got healthy scratched, which I said, you know, might be important for his development. 
and uh, rotating that fourth line center position because Chartier got his chance, but he hasn't been very effective. And then giving some other guys a chance as well. It's like I said, it's it's kind of a slow mix, kind of churning until this team can set things right as a whole, and maybe those players can get things together. Um, and yeah, they're still they're still not there mm-hmm. yet. Things haven't really set. You know, the the cake the totally. cake is still in the oven. The pie is still baking. It's not. <laughs> Man, yeah. I've been. Uh... We still need to prove. <laughs> it's not done proving. Yeah. We're going to try to pull it out too early, and Paul Hollywood is going to sit there and say, mm, this could have been <laughs> yeah, done. Yeah, I was going to say, I've been watching games. too much of the Great British Baking Show, and I'm not ashamed to admit that. It's, why should Dude, you be ashamed? It's yeah, a great it's show. Amazing. It's very fun. Anyway. It's very positive. Love, I, yeah. You know what? I think some Shark Twitter people, I think they need to have a little bit more um, positive outlook <laughs> in their life. <laughs> and if that means watching Great British Bake Off after a loss, instead <laughs> of stewing on the loss. You go do that. Do it. Yeah. You go do um, that. Yeah, I just realized my whole just slow mix people. analogy. Man, I'm really doing this baking, yeah. <laughs> these baking analogies. Anyway, yeah. like, I will say, honest, it's like the, the one things, thing I, things haven't really solidified yet for this team. And it's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. I'm just hoping that the end results will be an excellent bake, Ian. Yes, will be an excellent bake. I want a handshake from Paul Hollywood. <laughs> A la the first four seasons, not this past season where he just gets Oh my gosh, handshake. I totally it's been devalued and it means Lauren nothing. and I have totally discussed this. The handshake does like not mean anything anymore. It doesn't mean it's anything. Just, oh, I'm gonna give you a handshake. He gave three or four in one challenge at one point. I totally absolutely agree yeah, with that. I remember that. It was like someone got a handshake and they're like, Oh my gosh, I've never gotten a handshake for a dessert or something yeah. like that. Or for this type of bake, and then the next person behind him gets a handshake too. It's like Yeah. Get it's out. like, and then there's two Get more. Out. The re- the rest of those single challenge. It's like th- you have, yeah, you have so diluted the handshake. It doesn't even matter anymore. Yeah, yeah. If all of our listeners are a little confused, really go on Netflix, watch Great Bridge Bake Off. It's a fun, lighthearted show, and it's a good competition show that isn't all cutthroat. Absolutely, and you learn to love the consistency. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you brought that, that being up because I've I've totally seen that with Lauren. Yeah, and you, uh, yeah. That's so you true. You do stew on the losses a little bit. And uh, I tend to a little bit lean on and move to the next game a little bit faster than you. And if that means watching more great pitch pick off to move faster, then go ahead and do it. <laughs> I will say um, the reason why, like, each line is not asked to do the same amount of offense. So if our fourth line was trying to, like, was trying to put up even more points at the risk of having their defensive game be worse – like that decision is the wrong decision for the fourth line, but for the first line or our best players, like maybe it's a little bit different calculus, mm-hmm. but when the fourth line is out there, you are out there so that the best players can get a rest, mm-hmm. you know? And so that our time on ice can be a little bit better so we can play hard the whole game. So if people are going to quote how, like how good of the Corsi four percentage or whatever that Auntie Suomala is posting it's like, great. He also only has eight points. Like, he could be putting up a lot of offense, but it's at the risk of the defense, and they don't need him to score 20 goals. They would love for him to score 20 goals, but that pressure is not on him, you know? Mm-hmm. The pressure right now is to get his game solidified defensively and then have that basis so we're not losing games and then once you have a solid defensive basis, go ahead and move towards putting up offensive 
production and actually scoring points and goals and assists outside of that. Right. As well as without sacrificing defense. I think the last thing we can talk about is how the goalie <clears throat> quote unquote controversy was just ended last night. <laughs> Uh, the whole season, people have been saying Dell has been playing better than Jones, and he has to a degree. Um, Jones has been playing more, and um, oh my gosh, I talked to you about this before, and I think I posted it on Twitter. I had a rant about this on Twitter, and Jones has been hung out to dry on a ton of rush chances, but the rush chances are not like just shots off of the rush they are two-on-ones with like extremely high conversion percentages Mm -hmm. and breakaways yeah and that's where those high danger chances are coming from shots with lateral movement right across like three feet away like the high danger scoring chances area is like that home play area between the goalpost dot up to the top of the circle, across the other circle, down to the dot, down to the goalpost, that like home play area. Mm-hmm. That's what's considered high danger scoring chance. But really, all of the like the majority of these goals that are being scored against Jones, which is really pulling down his high danger scoring chance percentage, save percentage, is coming from the highest of danger scoring chances. They are lateral movement across the crease from point blank on two on ones or breakaways. Like, if you give up those chances, no, like, any goalie in the league, if they face the same number, would have similar numbers. Maybe they would be better than Jones, but they would be in the same ballpark as Jones. Right, yeah. And Dell really hasn't faced that because the games that Dell has played, for the most part, we played defensively very well in front of him. And we just saw that last night and through the quotes post-game with Evander Kane talking about that, that the the players don't make a decision to play this way in front of Dell and then not in front of Jones. Mm-hmm. Like if you just take that to the extreme, do they say look over and say, "Oh, Jones is playing. We're going to be extra loose today," or "Dell's going to play. We're going to be extra defensive today." Like no, they don't make that choice. Mm-hmm. There is no like they play better defensively. They have they play more confident in front of Dell. Like that doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. because both goalies have proven that they're very good. So there's not the oh my gosh, we have our backup goalie in. This is his first NHL game. We're really going to play extra defensively well tonight so that we don't hung out to dry and get a loss. And if anything, I know... Like Dell has proven... Go ahead. Dell has proven that he's a very capable goalie and can win games for us. Yeah. Like, that doesn't even enter in. And so if you look at his high-danger scoring chances against, his save percentage is very poor mm-hmm. compared to other goalies. If you look at his... Goals saved above average, which is a total count metric. It's not a percentage. He's last in the league. Again, for the same reasons, because all those goals that he should have saved based on the high danger scoring chance save percentage are below average. So he's let in more of those. He has a percentage based on the shots. It's worse. So there's more shots gone in. Therefore, that count of the goals he should have saved is lower than the average. Mm Mm-hmm. And again, he probably could be closer to the average instead of last, but he's not getting any help from his team. And that contributes to that thing being so poor. Wait, are you talking about Jones now or Dell? I'm talking about Jones the whole time. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I... I did change it onto Jones. I thought it was... And then at the last point, the last point, and then I'll let you talk. Sorry. This is a rant that I've been trying to get out for so long, (laughs) and it's coming out. I can't stop it. This is me figuratively, just imaginarily stroking... Like not stroking. That's weird. <laughs> patting you on the yeah. patting you on patting me on the back to make me feel back. better. Yeah. 
uh, <laughs> saved that. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to soothe you, um, you know, pat yes, you on the you. back. It's okay. The last thing is if you look at Jones's uh, PK save percentage, it's actually one of the best in the league. And that is probably a better indicator of high dangerous scoring chances. In a um, non-rush, automan rush In a non-breakaway, two-on-one yeah. situation. There will be passes across the crease that he will have to defend. And he does defend that. There will be shots from a top of the slot with an open look that he will defend. And his save percentage in that situation is actually extremely good. That's... So that leads to, like, that, that fact is true. Same with his goal saved above average being very poor in the bottom of the league is also true. It is that. And his high danger scoring chance percentage is also true that it is very poor. So how can all three of those things be true at the same time? Like there is a reason for it. Those percentages are driven by the by reality of what he faces. And it, from my point of view, is because the high danger scoring chances he, sh- he is facing would probably be better ca- categorized of worst possible scoring chances faced against yeah which and anyways not, and then we saw last night is your own category <laughs> which is not a category but if yeah. you could further reduce high dangerous scoring chances to be the highest dangerous scoring chances or extremely high dangerous scoring chances i would say that probably a large percentage of his current high danger save percentages the goal shots he's faced that are currently categorized in that would move to this extremely high and that would better separate those two. Right. So that it would, that he could be more accurately judged and maybe he would still perform poorly against his peers, but the data, we don't have that data. So we can't do it. You know, my whole point is he is playing poorly, but I think there are reasons for the way he's playing poorly. And I don't necessarily think he's playing as poor as people think. mm -hmm. I think it is, he is not playing great the last 10 games he's been totally fine but the whole team has been playing poorly and also a lot of the stats are not rolling averages they're including the first five games of the season where he maybe was the worst starting goalie in the league Mm -hmm. like and those are still counted but if you have like a rolling 10 game 15 game computation of those stats i feel like it would be a lot different in a in a better look for jones yeah okay i'm sorry that was a lot of talking. <laughs> you can you can clearly see that that has been pent up inside. Yeah. For a while. Uh, well, I spelled Thanksgiving wrong. Uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to say along the point of the whole concept of players playing more confident in front of a certain goalie versus the other. You said that. I mean, I I, I kind of made a joke earlier that. Um, you know, if they were playing so so. If they weren't so confident in front of Jones, then why are they making all these risky plays that are leading to odd man rushes, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. seriously, it's kind of inconsistent. If they're if they're so worried about Jones being uh solid, then then wouldn't they really tighten up and back up in their zone a little bit more? Um exactly. no, they're playing their their heavy pressing offensive game, pinching uh, from the defensive the defenseman's perspective um, and stuff like that, if ill-timed and, and made it made um, just at, at the right time. 
at the wrong time, I should say, can lead to those odd man rushes. So I think to sum up what you said, I think the team defense really needs to sharpen up because they're making the goaltenders look bad. And like you said, yeah, maybe they would be on the poorer side of the league anyway, but still, they probably mm-hmm. wouldn't be that bad. Um, because we, and we can't know this, but if we watch and we really focus on what's actually happening, I think it would be not, I think it would be, we would have some confidence in. Right. This. And you, you can see just by the eye test that this team, and you can hear Couture has mentioned it a couple of times, giving away two on ones and three on twos and breakaways. Mm-hmm. It's just happening too way too, too much than it should, you know? Um, yeah. I've said this before, but if you have eight breakaways and one on two on ones in the game and the goalie saves five, that's really good for the goalie, but you also just let in three, Yeah, yeah. you know, and that was the Toronto yeah. game. They had five goals, I think, and all four of them, except for the very first goal where it kind of went off of someone's foot when John Tavares scored in the power play or right as the power play ended, all other goals were from breakaways or two-on-ones and there was no chance. And that's a, that's a team issue. That's a, that's not the goaltender's fault. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be great if he that, makes a save on some of those. And Jones has made yeah. some great saves and so has Dell. You know, it's like they're capable yeah. of making those high-danger saves. But if they're... If they have to succumb to those things, they're not going to save every shot. They're not going to be perfect. They're not literally a stack of bricks in front of the goal. (laughs) In front of the goal, as much as we like to make that joke when they post a shutout, but yeah, that's just not going to happen. Speaking of the eye test, I think we talked about this together last night. I think some people may think that Dell, like to someone watching the game it may look like Dell is making more amazing saves than Jones simply by the way he plays athletically Mm -hmm. versus Jones, who is more positionally sound and doesn't force himself to make those athletic changes. Um, Catherine Silverman um, for the athletic, I think she is the athletic writer. She does a lot of NHL wide analysis for goalies, but is also a beat writer for Arizona. She is a um, goalie expert, and she has written how Jones is positionally very upright in his crease, a little bit deeper, not as a coming out as aggressive to play the angles as Dell is. Right. Dell, on the other, like he's more of like a Lundquist style, where he's there, very very upright, high shoulders, high straight up and down chest, good butterfly. Where his weakness is uh, blocker side pushing laterally across to his blocker side Mm -hmm. like a lot of his goals have come that way versus Dell he is very aggressive and makes a lot of he relies on his reflexes and athleticism more than his positions and in a way that is a positive for him sometimes it's a negative but his athletic play can help him recover from his um poorer positioning than Jones has. And it can like certainly make him look more spectacular at times. Exactly. And if you're just watching every goal, both goalies, you can look at and say, wow, like Dell is Dell's making some crazy saves. And if you look at Jones, he makes crazy saves too. 
Mm-hmm. He just doesn't like throw his stick in the air and like lunge and top corner. Well, he doesn't always do the, the splits way. and sit on his butt like Dell tends to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he does it all the time for sure. Yeah, so I think I think part of that, if um, like I didn't really realize that until I started reading up more this season on their different play styles, and now that I've seen that, as you watch replays on goals against or big saves that they say like Toyota save the game or shot of the game or whatever they have on the Sharks broadcast. Like, you can see it play out. And I think once you notice that, maybe that will, like, to the eye test, maybe you can kind of balance what you see based on their play style instead of just looking outside of the numbers just by the eye test saying, oh, Dell is better, even if they have the same numbers, because of the way he makes his saves, it looks more like crazy save or amazing save when it's when Jones may have also made that save, but it may have just looked like a, a quick glove save instead of a, a lunging glove save, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we saw last night the, the, the team can play very poorly in front of Dell and leave him out to dry. And when the team plays like that, it doesn't matter who's in net. And I think it's fair to say we have put that goalie controversy to the rest. Maybe Dell has been playing better than Jones, but maybe his numbers are maybe with his numbers now, not so much, but yeah, I think the question still remains like, when is this team going to uh, get things together? When are they going to pull off like more than a two game win streak? Cause that's just, yes. Come on. Like two games is the most we've won in a row. I think. Yeah. And I'm actually, and that's just not I think good enough. Can, I think we, do you have another topic? Because I think we can probably start to wrap up. Yeah, like, no, I think, this road I think trip. it's just at that point that I just made. I think it's just hammering yeah. on the same thing this whole season. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I really think this, this motivation coming off of this six-game homestand where they generally played very well, and then they have this absolute egg of a game, and then now they have this four- or five-game road trip in eastern Canada um, plus Buffalo. Like, I really think they can use this game plus just these recent six games of, of as like a, a, a show to themselves, like, hey, we can play defensively more solid. And the teams that they're playing aren't necessarily elite teams. Buffalo's doing, oh, sorry, Buffalo's doing, doing well. Amazingly. Yeah. I think, I think Montreal is as well. But they're also very susceptible teams. Playing Ottawa, that'll be a very uh, emotional game for, Eric Carlson, maybe it'll be his first hat trick. That'd be a, a good storyline. <laughs> <laughs> first two goal game, maybe a five point game or something like that. But I think we were in a position, a road trip, they really can come together. They've had some solid practice time, which is very rare for this team to actually get good practices because the travel in the Pacific Division is so bad. They rarely get any practices in. They had a lot of practice, it paid off in the homestand. They started off this road trip with a huge egg, which should be a great motivation coming into Tuesday's game to play really solidly. So I'm looking forward to Tuesday's game. I expect the Sharks to play very well because if they don't, they will get roasted for it. Yeah. You cannot and, uh... have a you cannot have a poor game after the game like um after the game like the Vegas game. Yeah. And uh Speaking of the next game, Buffalo, they did win their last game, win nine straight, but they lost. They barely won. I mean, they beat Detroit in a 
in a shootout or an overtime and, you know, <laughs> Detroit's bad. <laughs> not beating Detroit in regulation isn't like amazing. So they could be vulnerable. Um, at this time, they've won nine straight. Yeah. It could be a game where they go back home or, or that home and they, they play a little bit more lax. So, and then hopefully the Sharks Winning have streets. gotten a shot, a shot in the arm that will um, carry them through a little bit more. Um, and wake winning them up streaks a bit. are made to be broken. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Right. Yeah, winning streaks are made to be broken. So they're going to play Buffalo on Tuesday. So I'm excited to see how they do it. Yeah, definitely. All right, man. Well, um, it's been good listening to you this podcast. And uh... <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm sorry for monopolizing the, the airwave. No, no. But it's... these things have been festering. No, I know they've been festering. I think the goalie thing, I can see that's uh, like a frustrating thing. Um, it's just something to fixate on for people when they, they don't want to talk about like on. the main issue. That And yeah, it's frustrating, yeah. but it still needs to get fixed. The defense needs to be better. Um, yeah, it's a little frustrating that the advanced statistics are very, very good at describing offensive production but are very, very poor at describing defensive that is very true. acumen. Yeah. Or at least they may exist, but aren't really widely used. Right. Um, and then the, the goalie's save percentage is a double-edged sword. It's just either they're doing really well because their save percentage is really high or they're doing really poorly, but not like it doesn't really help answer why or how they are doing well mm-hmm. versus – some of the other advanced statistics for the skaters. So yeah, it is goalie statistics are very tied to team defense overall. Yeah. So and there was a there's a really good article that I may have retweeted recently about clear sight analytics about how really high danger scoring chances are really defined by if the goalie has half a second or less to look at the puck have a clear sight of the puck or not, that is probably a better determining factor of high danger or not. Mm. And they had a quick article, I think about Jones specifically in the playoffs last year or against the Oilers, which was good. Anyways, I, I referenced those in my timeline. So if you go look on that, um, you can find them. But uh, yeah, goalie statistics, statistics are a little bit better, but they're not, they're still not that great. And it's frustrating because the the conversation for fans is always framed around this player is offensively doing well. Therefore, their possession is well because they have the puck, so they're shooting. So that makes them better, and that is a better descriptor of how their play is overall if you have the puck so you can make a shot. Mm -hmm. It's like that's not really exactly how it's working. So then when a coach makes a decision based on the other side of the play, like defensive, or simple decision-making that should just be better and they have a higher expectations for the player, the coach is an idiot. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, maybe the coach has, maybe the coach is an idiot. Like I'm not discounting that. <laughs> there are some coaches that are idiots and there are some GMs that are idiots in the league. Case in point, Peter Torelli, an idiot for, <laughs> for the Oilers <laughs> oh, ruining that franchise. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Hall for Larson. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just stop there. But, um, but I will probably say that the person whose entire life depends and their livelihood depends on how the Sharks do or how any of their teams do um, and has a analytics staff of 
privately owned data and privately produced data, which much better resources to gain that data may have better decision-making ability than the public fans have. Mm -hmm. So that is probably why I side with the coaches a little bit more. Um, I will look into the video. What I personally see when I'm making some of these more different points of view, but also I think the caveat is, the fans data that we have only captures one side of the game. I would love to hear arguments for how it captures both sides. I'd also like to see how well it captures both sides in terms of, I don't know, like you can measure your models efficiency and effectiveness. How valid those but, statistics uh, I are. Yeah. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen it. Yeah. I mean, and it, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It means I just haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah. More so. defensive oriented statistics would be interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, block shots and, is a simple one, but it's good. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but there's there's yeah, definitely right. more to that, you know, like mm-hmm. pinches also leading the to odd man rushes. <laughs> like that could be a stat, yeah, totally, right? totally, totally. <laughs> um, poor Vlasic has been victimized by <laughs> stopping the puck at the point and having it bobble over your stick. Oh yeah, yeah. He's been he's been roasted by that a few times, but um. Player tracking data coming soon Mm. um, as the NHL has made a deal with some of the Vegas um, area places for betting houses or whatever the right term is. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But that data, I think, was said to be made public soon or uh, when it happens. So that will be awesome to see. I'm sure there will be a lot of cool stuff coming out of that. Yeah. Um, Because a couple of times where I've referenced – the NHL actually has like shot location data. Um, it's not actually that accurate. Mm. It's more general, um, but it's the best we have. Yeah. So. More data, the better. I'm a data believer. I do this every day at work. I'm not someone who's like decrying like data or like climate change. Like, <laughs> like I'm not a data oh, you went there. Like my old job, my old job is look at the data and make decisions. So I believe in it. I just uh, also, there are other, like, if you don't have all the data, then you don't have all the data. Yeah. I'll, I'll say that. Um, speaking of which, you've had some uh, pretty, pretty strong opinions, rants. I know you've been posting more on Twitter. So where can we find you? I need to that? rant less. Yeah, but I'm sorry. But maybe you should, uh, maybe we could uh, direct people to where they can see your your analyses yes, on Twitter. I have referenced it. Um, my Twitter handle is at Ian said so I A N S A I D S O. Um, and I post on there. Yeah. If you'd like to right. uh, follow me on Twitter, it's at D 22. And uh, you might just see me liking some of Ian's Ian stuff <laughs> along the way <laughs> or adding a comment here and there. Maybe, maybe I'll start posting more, but that's where you could find me. Yep. And then uh, you can uh, you can find our podcast Twitter account where you can send us any number of questions, comments, anything you want. Send us there. Tweet us. Message us at um, at underscore back to the point. Yeah. All right, man. Well, it's been good to get back together. Hopefully things will be a lot more positive and consistently positive the next time that we record. Uh, Maybe Mm -hmm. we can do start doing. some shorter podcasts here with the uh the new platform that we're trying so yes we are trying this new platform called anchor 
Um, if you have any issues, let us know. We would love to fix it. Um, hopefully this will help us um, get our podcasts out and have less production time after we record and um, just getting the podcast ready to be published and stuff like that, which hopefully will lead us to be able to produce more podcasts. Yeah, maybe more casual, is, uh, shorter podcasts as well. So, Yeah, exactly. This is more of like a one-touch published thing yeah which is really nice because we have jobs and <laughs> limited it time. sucks to record <laughs> and then also have to publish the next day after having to produce the podcast episode it can lead to the public the podcast coming out like two or three days after we record and maybe a game has happened and invalidated all of our points so yeah all right everybody well right. thank you for listening uh and we will catch you next time all right and go sharks go sharks